Problem Gambling podcast is proudly sponsored by Gamban, the simple and effective way to block access to online gambling on all your devices. If willpower slips, Gamban doesn't. Go to gamban.com to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Problem Gambling podcast. I'm Barry Grant, an addiction counsellor with Extern Problem Gambling. And my co-host is Tony O'Reilly, also an addiction counsellor with the project and the co-author of the book, Tony 10. And today we're delighted and honoured to have a guest as our guest, uh, MLA, Philip McGuigan, who's the MLA for North Antrim. And for those of you who don't live in this part of the world, an MLA is a member of the local assembly, which is the devolved government of Northern Ireland in Stormont. And uh, Philip is also the vice chair, I think, of the all party group on reducing harm related to gambling, which is a bit of a mouthful, and I'm amazed that I made it through that in one piece. And Philip is also in recovery and from a gambling addiction, a gambling problem, and he's going to talk to us a bit about that today, as well as the work he's doing in his role as a politician uh, to bring up-to-date regulation of gambling, and I suppose treatment services will be part of that as well to Northern Ireland. So, uh, of course, I forgot to mention that you're the Sinn Féin MLA. That's the, the political party that you, you represent. So thanks a million, Philip, and thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Starting no off, bar. <laughs> I mean, starting off, I mean, do you want to tell us a little bit about your own experience of gambling, gambling addiction? How did that start off? Uh, well, I mean, thanks uh, first of all, Barry and Tony, for having me on your on your podcast. Uh, I, I don't get to hear all of the the podcast, but I, I do listen uh, when I get the chance. So, you know, it, it's an excellent forum for for different discussions on, on the issue of addiction and gambling addiction in particular. I suppose my my story is uh, maybe slightly different than than a lot of of people who you would talk to with gambling addictions. I mean, and I, I should obviously predicate anything I say by saying I'm, I'm not an expert. No, I have my own lived experience uh, and, and, that, and that's, I suppose, w- what I'm an expert on. But I, I'm also a recovering alcoholic, so I, I think it's probably important to say that. And, and I mean, I, I stopped drinking very young in life uh, and had, you know, a number of years in recovery. You know, uh, I, I was following a 12-step recovery program, was doing well, Uh but, you know, maybe six, seven years into recovery, I, I moved home and uh, j- just life changes made it maybe not, not say more difficult to attend uh, a meetings and, and give my recovery a kind of the attention that it uh, that probably deserved. And, then, and you always put things maybe then, or I did, I put things maybe in front of recovery, but that was kind of coalescing with the uh, kind of boom in poker uh, across the island, you know, uh, I was involved in politics at that time. That you, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of charity fundraising events. You know, it might have been for the local GA club, it might have been for a local charity or, or a, a good cause, and, and you were turning up to 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 play poker. So I mean, that, that that's how I essentially got involved in playing poker. You know, I I, I wouldn't grown up have been. Uh, particularly associated with getting into bookies or betting on horses or or sports uh, football. You know, I, I live in a small village. We, did, we didn't have a bookies. Uh, you know, the people who I, I kind of associated with and, and grew up with weren't into gambling. So, you know, for a long period of my life, I had stayed away from gambling just by the, the environment that I was in. 
but through the, getting involved in poker, uh, I suppose that you know <laughs> my my obsession with that progressed uh, until then. I, I discovered uh, online, and then it really, really, really took off. I mean, I, I was probably in and around my early thirties had credit card all my life had never used it uh, and within a very short period of time of using online or playing poker online I had maxed out my my credit card so you know I very quickly once I got introduced to online poker uh, you know had a problem with gambling and, and you know that then obviously escalated uh, until you know it was affecting every aspect of my life uh, my family would would have suffered. I had four young children. They certainly would have suffered. Uh, you know, it changed the type of person who I was. Uh, you know, anybody with addiction, whether it's gambling, drink, drugs, you know, go has the same story uh, in terms of the impact that that it has. And I mean, and I and I'm no different. Uh, so you know, it 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 was a terrible period of my life. Thankfully, a, a, a day at a time. You know, I, I don't have to uh, gamble. Uh, so, I mean, long may that continue. And, and, and one of the lessons that I probably have learned uh, through this experience is that, uh, you know, recovery is important. And and try and not uh, make the mistakes that I that, that that I made in the past in terms of putting other aspects of your, your life. I mean, everybody's busy, uh, but you know it is important for me that that I place uh, importance on my recovery. Yeah, and I think that's a really important one to hammer home because certainly what I think myself and Tony would see a lot around people who are relapsing is that they're getting into a good place in their recovery they take their foot off the gas a bit in terms of working on their recovery. They stop, they don't attend meetings or they don't attend them as regularly as they would have. It starts kind of drifting off into this other thing that you don't really think about or work on. And then for some people you're setting up for, you're setting yourself up for relapse in that situation. So it is, it's a process that needs to be tended to over time. You know, if you want to, I think if you want to stay in good recovery and I think that's great advice. I mean, how long uh, were you kind of at that, say, uh, before we, we started recording, say you gave a great analogy of, you know, doing the local poker tournaments and maybe getting a taste for it and maybe winning a bit of money at those. And that being like the marijuana, the gateway drug into the heroin of, of online, online poker playing, which I think is a great analogy because online is just super addictive is 24 7 there's no limits i mean it's 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 relentless like what was that process like and how long would you have been actively gambling online before you kind of put your hand up and said you needed help yeah i mean i suppose there 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 is an element of of, of skill and poker and you know i'm I consider myself to be re reasonably intelligent. I mean, I, I'm, I'm always on the sport. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I like I, I like winning, as it were, regardless of, of what 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 I'm involved in. So, you know, I, I would have talked. I would have been reasonably good in the local circuit in terms. You know, you you, you were winning more often than not at tournaments. You know, uh, I would have played the odd cash game potentially in people's homes or in 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 pubs and, and clubs etc and, and would have been reasonably successful but you know I wasn't I was only playing on maybe 68 months when it, some of my friends said god you, you you should you should play online 
Uh, I'm always reminding them of that <laughs> conversation. Uh, but, you know, it, it, very, very quickly, when I went online, you know, maybe for a couple of weeks, again, I was very successful. I was very disciplined. Uh, but, you know, somebody with that addictive personality as me, you know, it it was always, you know, in hindsight, I can look back and say it was always going to end in disaster. So, you know, you, when you're winning, you're, 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 you're trying to win more. Uh, and then obviously, as I say, I, you know, I can still remember the first made, you know, I suppose all gamblers of the hard luck stories, whether it's the horse that fell at the last fence or the, the own goal scored, or you know, in my case, that you know, that the, the, the four aces that beat my four kings, uh, whatever it is. Uh, and and you know, from that moment, then I, I suppose I had a maybe a five or six year period of chasing that first bad beat, uh, you know. As I say, you know, I had a credit card with a, a three thousand pound limit that I had never used. Literally, never. No, I, I would have been. I, I mean, some maybe would say I was miserable with money, but you know, I would say I was sensible with money to that point in my life. And, and, and within a very short period of time, money meant absolutely nothing to me. You know, it all it was was access to getting online, and, and, and once that money was transferred onto the the computer screen. All it was 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 figures and digits. Uh, and in terms of the progression, I mean, I, I mean, I through the work of the ABG, you know, we've met with some really good people who talk about the dangers of the products online. I mean, I mean, I, I my own first-hand experiences of the dangers of the speed. I mean, that I mean that's one difference, obviously, between playing poker in somebody's house or in a pub and going online. I mean, the speed of play. Uh, is just phenomenal and somebody like myself then that that became addicted you know i and craving action you know this speed became uh incessant and you know even then very quickly it wasn't a case of playing one game one game wasn't enough you know at the finish of my poker uh i, I could have been playing anything from six to ten games at the one time uh and, and then the type of game so you know whilst texas hold'em was very uh popular you know it, very quickly it, there wasn't enough action in texas hold'em for me uh, you know then you you move up you're playing different you're playing omaha you're playing different types of game where the action uh, is coming quicker uh and more frequently yeah and that's really interesting as well because that's quite often the trajectory you'd see even in sports betting you know so people start off doing a football accumulator at the weekend and then maybe they're spending more time in the bookies say so they start backing horses and then that's not doing it enough there's not enough action there so between the horse races they might start doing greyhounds and that's not enough so between the the horses the greyhounds and the football they're doing the virtuals or what sometimes people call the cartoon races and then it's the the the, the spin of the roulette wheel or if it's faulties or whatever it is because you need to be in action that's the fix, you know, that's, and you've ramped up your tolerance so much that like that, you end up at a point where you're playing six or eight games of poker simultaneously just to get the hit that you need to get enough action. Tony, you've spoken a lot about this before. Any thoughts on what Philip's saying there? Yeah, there's a lot of crossover, I suppose, when Philip was talking in my own story, um, not having used a credit card a whole lot before I associate with my online account. And very much like my gambling, where it was kind of heavyish enough before online, it just totally took a, a 
different trajectory as soon as I went online. But it was just, um, I think it was the ease of access and the speed of play as well. Whereas mine was sports betting, it was in-play betting. So it was, even if you were the five-team accumulator and you knew the first one was down, you'd go back in and bet on the, the four teams again plus another. So it's that kind of, the ability to keep on um, kind of circulating your money within this, within it as well. And I think as well, like the credit card is just so easy because it doesn't feel like real money. Um, and I did dabble a little bit into the kind of um, poker late at night um, when the sports betting was kind of, well, the majority of sports betting was over. And it was that, like, you know, sitting there at 12 o'clock at night till 7 o'clock in the morning, then just having a shower and going straight to work. And it was that kind of, it was the Texas Hold'em and it was amazing how it kept me playing. And, and you know, I, I was the person with no skill at the table. I was the one just going all in with stupid hands or doing all. And it, was, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't games with other players online. I think it was against the computer as such. Uh, and um, it was it was just I I dabbled in it, but then I came out because it was just it was probably too much for me even at that stage. So I can I can really kind of get how much you know you need to play more and more and more. And like we've heard that before, I've heard it in a workshop before with someone playing six or seven screens. Um, and very similarly, I might have had two screens open with six or seven or eight teams um, on the screen, so I could see when the um, the play was suspended, so you're getting that hit the whole time. So it's not just about how the team winning in 90 minutes; it's about getting that hit every time there's a goal or a potential goal, or even even though it wasn't back then, I'm sure it's, it is now in people's experience of gambling. The VAR decisions when the betting is suspended. So it was the that was the hit for me in the same as you probably needed to kind of go online and get all different kind of hits, and. It was like, you know, I was relatively late starting as well. And I, I, I think you said the, the kind of addictive personality, I would kind of call mine the compulsive personality. So while I would have had other compulsive behaviors while I was younger, as soon as I discovered gambling at 24, it was like, oh, I found I found it. I've, I've eventually found the thing I need in my life to, to kind of nearly satisfy that itch, if, if that makes sense. So I think there are a lot of crossovers in it, but it just shows how the online platform can accelerate any problem 10, 20, 30 fold, if not more. Uh, and that's the worrying aspect, I suppose, as we're coming out of um, the lockdown or the pandemic, how many people have morphed online and developed bigger problems that was maybe could have been there beforehand, but has become even bigger because of the online aspect. And we're definitely seeing that a little bit in the work as well. Yeah, you, you actually described that really, really well there. I mean, because uh, obviously, as I say, I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Uh, as well as a recovering uh, compulsive gambler, and and like in terms of both, for me, it, it, it you know I never felt at ease uh, in myself, you know, unless you were going through recovery. As you know, when you walk into the pub for that first pint, or whenever you you know you get money, and you, you know when you sit down in front of that computer screen uh, and know that you you have uh, money or, or will be able to to gamble for the next period of time you know like in between those bouts you know you never felt at ease the whole your whole thinking your whole life was directed around trying to get to that point again and I mean and it's just so easy now uh with technology so you know you don't you probably don't even need to wait now because everybody has a phone so you know there's access to gambling uh 24 hours a day and you know and that's the point that we were talking about off screen, you know, even where, you know, 
there there is a bit of skill or, or you, you might know what you're doing. No, the fact that there's 24 hour access seven days a week means for somebody like me, no, the only way I was going to stop gambling uh, in any particular session is when I run out of money. No, no matter how well you might have done at the start of, of the session, no, and I, I have many experiences where, you know, as you say, you know, depending on the mood you're in, you're, you're just going all in crazy after five minutes. You no, know, I, I can recount uh, on, on occasions where you work all, all month, you get your wages at 12 midnight, and by half 12, you, 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 know, you have no money left, you, you know, and you're worried about how you're going to pay your mortgage or put food on the table and all that there. And then there's other periods where you actually, over a period of maybe 24, 36 hours, you're playing well and you're wanting money. But no matter how good you're doing, because of the compulsion and, and people like ourselves, you're not going to get up and leave until, you know, like, until you lose all your money and that, that that's just the reality of 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 my compulsion or addiction to gambling yeah just just add to that even with I, my experience of the poker side of it is the only the only way i stopped was when i had to physically remove myself and get up and have a shower and go to work because i would have been late and i had to be there because i take money at the time so i had to be there to cover up that so but even within that when i was driving to work i would still be gambling I wouldn't be playing poker because you need to be sitting down and be playing each hand, but I was gambling on online events just to kind of keep it going in a different way. So, and like the amount of people that we talk to, um, and I've we've talked to a lot of people over the years that say that, that, that they actually know going into a gambling session that the only way they're going to stop is by losing all the money. But yet the drive to go in and do that is still there. Um, and that's the bit that probably people who haven't experienced gambling harm themselves probably can't get their head around a lot of time. Like, even though you know you're going to lose, you still need to go in there to be in that action place. Um, and that's the place where we can forget about all the problems, where we can deal with things that are going on, or even where we might even feel alive, It's you know, in certain instances as well. So that's the bit that kind of, I think, for some people listening in who may not have the gambling problem. I don't be interested to hear Barry's thoughts on it. I know Barry would know all the theory behind it, but it's that kind of, I know I'm going to lose. So I suppose deep down, I knew I was going to lose, even when I was going online each time. And I think um, for myself, the situation I found myself deep down, I knew I was going to get discovered. But I stayed going and going and going because being in action was probably the way that I dealt with the stress that I, of the situation I found myself in. So it was kind of like, it's kind of like a double edge nearly. You know, you're gambling to escape from the stress that's been caused from gambling but you see it as the only way to cope at, the, at that time. You know, like um, talking about it or, or coming clean about it is not an option because I'd gone so deep in at that stage. And sometimes it doesn't have to be that you've taken money and you need to hide it. It's just that sometimes you're in so deep into it that a lot of people that we work with said, I want to get back to that zero point before I stop. You know, I want to get my money back. And that's, and that's the driving force that keeps us playing. Even though deep down we know that that's probably never going to happen. But the big wins along the way are the ones that keep us playing. Yeah, yeah. I think. Sorry, Philip, you jump in there. No, no, no. I mean, I, I was just listening to Tony. I mean, I, I often thought to myself that, uh, you know, because I agree with Tony. You know, every time you went on, you, know, you may have part of your your brain might have been thinking you were hopeful, but like deep down, you you had done this so many times, you you knew that it was going to end in absolute disaster. 
uh, and dismay. You know, I, I often thought I was just addicted to pain. You know, when I, I experienced, you know, like everybody else, uh, an addiction. You know, the the amount, the threshold for pain that you can suffer from. You know, in my case, was was very very high, and then obviously through that, the, the pain that you inflict and others. So I mean, I, I just totally agree. I mean, I, and that's why it is difficult to explain to people. I mean, addiction, gamma addiction, is an illness. But it's, you know, I mean, I, I spent just out of hospital where I was in getting tests for my heart. You know, that, that, that is something that people can see and understand. You know, everybody understands, you know, whether it's a bad heart or, or, or a broken bone or, or, or cancer, you know, people will understand it. They, they can identify with it. You know, you will get a certain amount of sympathy. Whereas, you know, it is very difficult to explain to somebody who, uh, isn't you know doesn't suffer from addiction you know that why you would go why why you would go onto a computer or go to a bookies knowing deep down that you're going to lose this money experience an awful lot of pain and hurt the people who you love around you and, and that you know that's that's why from, from my point of view you know there there is and through great work of people like yourselves you know there is the growing uh, promotion of, of addiction, particularly gambling, because you know, you know, gambling addiction is, is treated not the way it should be. But gambling addiction is, is I suppose, the lesser of treated even worse than than than, than drink and, and drugs and, and other addictions. But you know that that is changing, as I say, through thank thankfully work that people like yourselves are doing because you know it does need to be treated from a public health approach it is an illness it's an illness that is destroying individuals families and society and you know through you know the work of the apg through legislation through promotion you know hopefully uh, society will be able uh, very quickly to deal with this and support people who, who need support moving forward yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's it's interesting you're talking about the idea of pain, you know, becoming addicted to pain. Uh, it's a guy, Gabor Mate, may have come across him. He's been a famous psychologist, has written a lot of books and does a lot of talks and podcasts at the moment. But his idea is that addiction starts with pain and ends with pain, you know. So, I mean, it starts with some pain some unresolved thing, some unfinished business, whatever you're talking about, the unease that you felt until you got the first pint into you or the unease that you felt until, you know, you could see that the numbers were up on the screen, the money had been lodged and you could start a gambling session. And then, you know, you use gambling or alcohol, whatever it is. Some, for some people it's food, you know, for, for people who, who don't understand addiction, I think things like food and social media, are, are useful ways to help people understand that because how many people have gone on a diet and jacked it in after a couple of days and then again and again and again and been in that cycle or you know i'd often say to people look if you don't understand gambling addiction <clears throat> excuse me or how somebody can become addicted to a behavior just log off all your social media for a week and keep a journal and let me know how you got on right? because we all have the capacity to become addicted to behaviors, right? Even some of them are more destructive than others. But that thing of, you know, it starts with pain, it ends with pain. You use the alcohol or the gambling to deal with a pre-existing pain, but of course it creates even more pain in your life. And then you're just on that hamster wheel, that horrible cycle of addiction. Like we all, have the capacity to do that i think and you know we were talking about the idea of knowing going into a gambling session that the only way 
you're coming out of it is when you hit zero because I think for everybody who starts out gambling, you're, the drive is to get free money. You know, t- Tony talks about the idea, this is easy. And most people have that idea. You have an early big win, you think, oh, this is easy, or I'm good at this, especially with poker, because there's much more skill it's involved in poker than, say, sports betting or any of the other forms of gambling. So that validates your beliefs about your own skill. And you go, okay, this is easy. You start doing more of it. So in the beginning, the drive is about getting free, easy money. Who doesn't like that? That's a very attractive proposition, right? We all like that. Everybody likes that. But after a point, it stops being about that. And it starts being about the buzz you get from being in action gambling. And winning money just allows you to do that for longer, right? But it's not about winning X amount of money. Then I cash out and I go and spend that money on a nice holiday or whatever. That just doesn't happen. You know, people who develop gambling problems, addictions, almost never make any withdrawals. You know, there's no cashing out. You know, and, 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 and try to interrupt, even when you do want to, you know, the odd time when you do want to make a withdrawal, you know, the gambling companies don't make that easy. You know, they, they literally don't mean, I, I've set down rules throughout my gambling career, uh, you know, how I was going to regulate it. You know, I'm going to stop on the hour. You know, I'm, I'm going to do 40 minute sessions to get up, take a break. I'm going to uh, cash out uh, or stop when I won a certain amount of money. Uh, you know, I, I all, you know, I wrote them down in front of me, you know, but I would have ignored every single one of them. And that, I mean, even times, I mean, because, you know, every gambler, I suppose, goes and great one and rushes. You know, I've had lots of one and rushes. You know, I can remember one period of time where. I, I won uh, a substantial five-figure sum. But then when you go to withdraw it, you know, you're thinking, I, I withdraw it. You know, but then the, the gambling companies have this, well, you can't withdraw for 36 hours and you can only withdraw a certain amount. You know, it's always stacked against people like myself. Yeah, I agree 100%. And then you had the situation with reverse withdrawals, which I can't remember if the GB Gambling Commission banned those. I know they were certainly looking at them. But reverse withdrawals is one of the most evil things that the gambling industry ever came up with or cancelling withdrawals because you make the difficult decision, I'm going to withdraw some or all of this cash, and then it sits there in cyberspace for 48 hours maybe. If you have any sort of an addiction to gambling, you're going to reverse that withdrawal because, first of all, you have an addiction. Second of all, there's the opportunity cost. So if you've been on a winning run and you've made money, which is why you're making the withdrawal, your natural instinct is to think, why would I cash out now? I'm on a winning run. This is stupid. I'm losing money by cashing out. Again, there's a logic to that irrationality. And that's why, you know, trying to dial back from some of the irrational thinking about gambling is so complicated because there's always a little bit of truth in there. There's always a little bit of logic in there, which helps drive the delusions and drive the irrational thoughts. And then for the gambling industry to facilitate that, I mean, we had, was that our last podcast episode? We had Sue Lawson. She's the player protection manager from the Irish National Lottery. And they have a thing where I think when you hit, when you have a certain amount of winning on their online system, you can't gamble that away. There's a daily limit, you can't, a spending limit. You can't gamble more than X amount. And she was saying that if you, if you hit a certain amount of winnings, they automatically withdraw that for you and post it to you as a check, <laughs> which is brilliant. 
<laughs> that's thinking. I mean, Sue has worked in the kind of the main kind of big bookies kind of gambling industry in the past. She knows how people think. She knows about the addictive behaviors. So you win X amount. You have no choice, but they will withdraw it for you and post it to you in the post as a check, right? which is brilliant because you've, you've, you've been forced into a cooling off period, right? So if you have some sort of a gambling problem, this would be one of the things that I certainly I would want to see in terms of regulation, mandated cooling off periods. Like nobody should be gambling for 24, 48 hours on the trot. Like that's, you know, you can talk about, you know, individual freedoms and blah, blah, blah. Right? And you can talk about nanny state and all that stuff as well. It cannot be healthy for anyone to be gambling for 24, 48 hours straight. Both myself and Tony worked as bartenders for a long time. I would be cutting somebody off right? long before they got anywhere near that kind of a number. If it was alcohol, you know, it's a no brainer. Like that shouldn't be happening. There have to be mandated cooling off periods. Either the system, whole system shuts down at a certain time in the night or you can gamble for maximum X amount of hours and on one platform, even if it only takes you 10 seconds to switch to another platform, that's still 10 seconds where you have to come out of the zone for a bit and maybe you think twice about what you're doing. Anyway, sorry, Tony. Yeah, you just reminded me of even, like, you know, we work in the bars, but all, like, within that, the the bar closes at 11 o'clock at night or whatever time it closes at. It doesn't online on your phone. But I remember when I started working in the pubs, like the bars used to close between, was it 12 and 2? On a Sunday, you actually, actually, it, you weren't allowed to serve alcohol between 12 and 2, and that was the kind of, maybe to send people home for their dinner, I don't know, but the, what, where it came from, but it was that kind of, it was that natural cooling off period. Now, you know, that I, I thought that was good. Like, and, and even if it was like, you know, you're talking about nanny state and stuff like that, even if it was like that all online operator shut down for two hours in the middle of the night between four and six or something like that never happened. But it, in an ideal world, like you said, like at least it's that enforced because with the lottery, it closes up off at 10 o'clock, I think, isn't it? Until the following morning. So it's, it kind of enforces someone to take that break. When I was gambling, you know, there was no such thing as um, cash it out. There was no such thing as reversal of withdrawals. When I did withdraw the money, it was it took about four four days to come back onto my credit card, which was a bit of a cool and off period. But then, as you said, I stopped making withdrawals because it was too long. So it was like um, because I was get I was developing a problem. I didn't see it at the time, um, but it was that kind of I needed to keep playing as well. So like withdrawals was not an option so it just shows where how the mindset can change based on the things that the bookies have in place like that i think that um that cash out one just it just messes with your head because it's like i could have got that i should have had that i could you know and, and that creates uh, the near miss phenomenon as well that uh, if i'd only so it's it reminds me of deal or no deal or games like that where it's kind of you know or even um even that one tipping point, the game where it's kind of, you know, if you, you, you can nearly gamble and the three extra counters can get you to 10,000. But like, even when you were saying like addicted to pain and the one I would add to that is addicted to chaos. Like, you know, I, I loved being in that place of chaos of how am I going to manage the months to month? I didn't feel, I didn't feel alive unless I was in some sort of chaos or some sort of place where I had to kind of, move things or, or just about manage things and I think what I would have saw a lot in my work in the transitional house in Dublin is that people come in and they do, they're, they're doing really well they're in, after a complete the treatment program they're getting their lives back on track but a couple of weeks in once they get out of that bubble of the treatment centre 
the start, like, you know, they're getting their life back on track and then suddenly out and over becomes a lapse or relapse. And it's because they're not used to a life without chaos in it. And it's like that going back into an environment can trigger that the need to get back involved. Like it's, it's always around relationships or, or jobs or, or money or situations like that. So it's interesting to hear the different opinions on it, different outlooks. And, I mean, and, and, and all of those kind of treatments uh, and protections are, are, are vital moving forward. And I mean, I, I just thought it was uh, interesting when, when, when Barry was talking there. I mean, I'm not anti-gambling. I know none of us are, are, are anti-gambling. But at the same time, you know, the, the, there are gambling practices and products which are extremely harmful uh, and cause great harm. And, and, and they need to be regulated. You know, we've, we've talked about s- some of them uh, here. You know, there, there are many more. And, and the people who, uh, I suppose, are making money out of gambling, uh, you know, don't, don't you know, they will resist in, in a lot of cases, those necessary changes because the gambling industry is hugely profitable. You no, know, we we see the amount of money that they're able to spend on advertising. You know, they, I'm pretty sure, like the tobacco industry, you know, they're there when when the battle was going on with advertising. There, you know, they're hugely influential. But you know, I mean, I, my focus is as a politician and somebody uh, involved in and hopefully helping to create good legislation you know we, we need protections that are sensible that allow th- those people who can gamble uh you know a- and see gambling as entertainment and, and and enjoy that to go ahead and do it but that that stops the, the harm inflicted upon people like myself and many many more people and that's growing i mean the the, the digital age you know uh, is going to uh, ensure that gambling harm and increases among the population the young people are, are exposed to you know gambling gaming advertisement uh, you know it's it's everywhere it's hard to escape uh, so you know all of that needs to happen to ensure that that those practices that we've talked about re- reverse withdrawals i mean like for example i, I would have switched switched uh poker sites uh, you know periodically because you you would have been exposed to inducements free bets etc uh, etc et uh, but it would have been very easy for any of those poker companies that, that I would have used to have identified me as a problem gambler within a very short space of time now and, and, and they eased that problem now I'm pretty sure they did identify me uh, as a problem gambler and instead of uh, dealing with that issue you know they exploited the issue you know I, 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 there were times when I would have maybe excluded for a period of time, whether it was weeks or maybe even months from particular sites. But when that exclusion period was up, I was always receiving an email from them to say my exclusion period was up. Here's some free bets. Now, some of the, those practices may have changed, but you know, there, we do need governments and policymakers need legislation to stop and reduce harm the same way we, we, we you know, you need to reduce harm in terms of raising taxes on, on sugary foods and on the way you need to stop advertisement uh, on c- cigarettes and the way the public health deals with the issue of alcohol and drugs. You no, know, and that, that's vitally important. And say gambling is some way behind all of those other products at this period of time. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, gambling has kind of gotten a free pass in terms of it being viewed as a public health issue at all across the world. Like, it's just, it's like the argument that I always make starting out is it's an over 18s product, right? It was made an over 18s product for a reason. 
right? Just like cigarettes are over 18s, just like alcohol is over 18s, it's an over 18s product. And yet, we can have, you know, gambling advertising on radio stations when kids are having their breakfast. We can have it all through the day, pre-watershed, we can have gambling advertising. No other over 18s product is allowed to do that, right? Uh, we know that it causes harm. We know that a certain amount of people become addicted to it. We know that uh, the impact that those addictions have on the people around the person in addiction, like we know there's a certain amount of harm there in the same way that we know that while a certain amount of people can drink moderately, there's a, another group of people who cannot drink in moderation and that there's harm associated with alcoholics. So we need to start thinking and behaving as societies in an acknowledgement of the harm that's associated with gambling like it has to be done i mean and i know you need to get back to work fairly soon but i suppose if you were to apply because obviously you're you're in a position where you can you know the all-party group and i was fortunate enough to be asked to give it evidence at one of the sessions and i've attended quite a few of the evidence sessions uh from the all-party group on reducing harm related to gambling i got it there um, but I suppose your vice chair, you're you're sitting in on that. Um, you're an MLA of an opportunity to to have an impact on the legislation there, and you have the benefit of being in recovery from a gambling addiction. Like, what to your mind would be the key things that would help reduce the harm uh, associated with gambling? You know, help minimize the amount of people who might develop gambling problems or increase interventions that could happen. Like, what would be the let's say from your own experience what might have helped you yeah well i think the, the apg has done some really good work we've took evidence sessions and, and listened to lots of people over uh, probably the last five six months uh, and it has been really useful exercise i mean the minister who's from my own party uh, uh has committed to bringing forward legislation i mean it's scandalous for example that in the north or legislation hasn't been updated in 35 years. Now, you, you can imagine the, the changes to gambling practices that have occurred within 35... I mean, the internet, for example, wasn't uh, a thing 35 years ago. So first and foremost, we really do need uh, updated legislation that's fit for purpose. Uh, now, as the Minister has committed to bringing forward uh, legislation in two phases. The first phase is going to kind of tighten and strengthen uh, premise type gambling uh, just because of the shortage of Bermondi you know there, there's an election scheduled for next May although the way things are going that could be sooner uh, and then uh, the second phase will be looking at how to tackle online I, I, I mean there's a lot of things from the evidence that we have gathered and, and from my own experiences that quite easily could uh, reduce harm uh, for example affordability checks we, we, we've talked about that at the sessions so you know it would be easily uh, to ask and identify how much people can afford to gamble and put put limits towards that. You know, as I say, I, I went through a period where uh, I literally maxed out 10 credit cards within a period of six months. So first and foremost, the credit cards knew that every penny of those credit cards was going on gambling and did nothing to stop, stop me. Uh, and then the gambling companies knew very, very quickly, that I was gambling well beyond my means. So, you know, affordability checks is is something that I uh, would be a strong proposer of, I mean, the self-exclusion, you know, we need a, a, 
to tighten and self-exclusion across the board to make it, you know, when you make that decision that it can be stuck to, you know, the free bets, you know, there needs to be a complete ban in my view on free bets, the speed, uh, the speed of the products, you know, there, there needs to be regulation in terms of whatever the products is, whether it's uh, casino games, slots, uh, all, all of that, that, you know, these are harmful products in the wrong hands and, and, and all of that needs to be taken into account. I mean, we, we have proposed a gambling regulator uh, in the north and hopefully that is something that will be and that will that will keep an eye on the products will, which will regulate the gambling. But also a key to that is, you know, a mandatory levy where, you know, gambling companies are whatever the level is and it needs to be sufficient to ensure that, you know, there, there are provision for, for health and, 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 and all of that. So, I mean, there's a you know, there's no one product or I, I think a, a legislation needs to cover all of those things uh, and it needs to be, allow scope for developing because there's no doubt that the technology is going to develop. Uh, so it, it needs to be able to do that. So the, as I say, the gambling companies are powerful. You know, there is a lot of tax for government. You know, they, they have a powerful lobby, uh, but they are harmful and, and they need to be regulated. Uh, and government, in my view, needs uh, needs to be able to ha- have good legislation that reduces harm to individuals and to society. So, I mean, I would hope that over the next period of years, uh, particularly in the North, that we will have legislation that is the envy of, of other societies. I mean, one thing I have said uh, often at our APGs is, you know, just because we live in a small island, it, we also need coordination on this island uh, and between this island and, and the island of Britain because, you know, our culture is heavily influenced. You know, like we're, we'll all be sitting watching the Premier League, uh, you know, TV, we watch similar t- television stations. So, you know, whatever decisions... We're, are done with regard to online, particularly in advertising. You know, there needs to be some kind of symmetry on the island of Ireland and also between the island of of uh, Ireland and Britain for it to be effective, in my view. Yeah, I agree hundred percent on that one. There's even that I remember looking at when they were taking submissions on the on the gambling regulation in Northern Ireland. There was something that I came across that I hadn't registered with me this. And I, I noticed it afterwards that if I'm watching, say, a UK TV channel and they'll say there's this prize draw, you know, and you just have to enter it, you know, except if you live in Northern Ireland, right? Because the Northern Ireland legislation is different to, to, to GB. And even down to that stuff, you know, just to have some joined up thinking where you go, okay, let's try and have, obviously there are different jurisdictions and different things going on and UK has left the EU, that kind of complicates things a little more but you can have some kind of harmonization and an acknowledgement that look we do watch the same tv channels even if they're from different islands and we you know there's a lot of crossover here and if we can cooperate and try and harmonize some sort of an approach to it and i suppose in in gb there's the gambling reviews going on as well so there's an opportunity to do that and you were talking about the idea that it's not just one thing so if it's affordability checks Plus, you know, say an end to reversing withdrawals, plus a ban on credit card gambling, plus, 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 plus. And I think uh, I, I know you were in hospital recently at the most recent APG meeting. There's a couple of people from the uh, New Zealand Ministry for Health, and they put up a slide where they described it like it's layers of Swiss cheese. So you got slices and slices and slices of Swiss cheese. Each slice has holes in a different place. So affordability checks, 
is not a perfect system. It has a hole or has some holes in it. But then you hit the next layer of Swiss cheese and that's another layer of protection. Then you hit the next one, then you hit the next one, the next one. And if there are enough layers of protection, of safeguarding there, eventually you hit a point that you can't go beyond, right? Because no individual layer is perfect or flawless on its own. But if we have enough of them, you get where you want to go, you know? And I think that's a really good analogy for it. Tony, did you want to come in with something there? Oh, no, no. Um, just, um, it's good. It is a good analogy, though, because even in our own work, you know, you talk about time, access, money, and the access and the control of money. There are loopholes within, you know, the people in active addiction will, will find a loophole within it. Like the one that really gets me is why can't we bring something similar to Camstop into Ireland? So that's, you know, if to make the self exclusion easy. So if someone has made that decision, I do not want to gamble anymore in bookie shops. How can I know it's it's very hard to 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 do that uh, logistically, but to make it a little easier than what it is. And we need that kind of joined up thinking. We need that if I self exclude with one operator, I should be self-excluded from them all online. And I know the Gamban is brilliant for that. What a device with the self-exclusion. Why not have, you know, that everyone is on the same page so that, you know, even when I make that choice, at least I'm protecting myself from the ability to go and open up another account and another account and another account, which is the case of many um, of the stories we hear. So, yeah, I do totally agree with We do need layers of protection. And it is a really good analogy around because we will find ways through it um, or a person who, in addiction will find ways through it until, I suppose, they get to get that extra support where they're cognitively, I suppose, able to process it in a way that's, um, and that can happen after a period of time, but in a way to kind of um, get that long-term recovery when you're making that, your own kind of decisions on it, I suppose. I don't know whether that came across right the way I described it, but we need, especially in early recovery, we need as much protection when the person has made that um, decision to try get into recovery um, and the more the, the more things we have in place the better and, and i think it's important to say that none of these uh types of protection would have any impact on the person who you know gambles for entertainment enjoys uh, but, you know none of none of this would have any impact on, on that and, and it'll still allow people to you know place their their Two pound or five pound uh, on the on the horses or or soccer or whatever uh, at the weekend. But I mean, I, I think the key statistic that that always startled me when I first saw it is, and, and I, I know it maybe changes, but that that the vast majority of gambling prof, profits are made from a small percentage of those who gamble. You know, and and that you know to me that I suppose more than anything says that we need to do something from this and 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 in the back of my head you know i'm thinking well you know are people like me and, and you tony being exploited uh for profit and i mean the conclusion the only conclusion that i can come up to is that that, that we are uh you know so you know if if the gambling industry were serious about reducing harm none of these things that that, that we're talking about today are big asks they're sensible uh regulatory processes that stop people uh, harming themselves. I mean, and 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 I mean, we haven't even talked about the amount of suicides uh, from from gambling. So you know, this is a very, 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 very serious illness that takes people's lives and ruins people's lives. And and as I say, you no, know, we're not anti-gambling. 
but we are all in favour of protections to reduce harm. And, I, and as I say, I keep repeating this, you know, I don't think that that's a big ask. Yeah, and just to add to that, like I, I, I didn't set out to become a problem gambler. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed it, as the majority do, um, in a healthy enough way. But I did, for whatever reason, whether that's addictive personality, whether it's uh, the disease model, whether it's, it's whatever reasons, I slid down that continuum to become a heavy gambler, to become a risk gambler, and then at the end, become a disorder gambler. So when you're in that addictive space, or if you're in addiction, you, you don't have the ability to self-regulate because you're, you're on, you're, you're literally the snow, it's like a snowball effect. And we do need the policies and procedures and, and protection measures in place for that person who does slide. Like, you know, if, if, we're, if we're to go with what the gambling she said, if we're saying the majority of people, like we'll say 98% or whatever the, the figure is, will enjoy it, um, kind of will enjoy it on, on an okay level. But, you know, there, I, like I, I, will, I question those figures anyway, but it's a lot of people will, will have that snowball effect. And if, if they're saying that the majority of their customers don't experience gambling harm, as you said, why not put in these protective measures for the 2%, for the 4%, whatever percentage it is, but then you would start to worry and the conspiracy theories, you know, just starts going around my head as well. Like, are they really serious around protecting it if a lot of the profits coming from this five or 6% of people? Are we being exploited? I know I definitely I, my situation was exploited um, because it was plain to see, not to me at the time, but it was plain for everyone else to see on the outside looking in that I had a huge problem and I didn't have the funds that I was lodging in every day. Like I was lodging in the equivalent of two very, very good years' wages every week. You know, And they knew my position, they knew where I worked. It wasn't that I was going across a numerous operator. So... It, it is there. You'd always question. I know a lot, like mine is 10 years ago, so you would hope that a lot has happened since then. But unfortunately, in a lot of cases that come into our sessions or that we hear about in the media, um, I don't think that's the case. I think the same mistakes and failings are still there that were there 10 years ago. And that's that's the bit. I Like, I can accept that responsible gambling is to, to put it up or safer gambling. Maybe mightn't has been as prevalent 10 years ago. But in, in today's age, where just the, the digital age, where we're more exposed to kind of experiencing harm quicker or easier, I do think that it seems, in my opinion, anyway, that not a whole lot has changed in Ireland, in, in, in my experience of, the, of working with people. So it's, um, you know, we need that change to happen and we need the regulation in place to enforce those changes because it looks like the industry can't regulate themselves in the same way as a person with a problem gambling can't regulate themselves. So we need the government to step in and step up and, and get it in place as quick as possible in a way that works. Yeah. yeah, and I think in many ways the gambling industry have become addicted to the money that they get from people with gambling addictions, you know. And in some ways the government coffers have become addicted to some of that money as well. So there's a... I suppose there's always a bigger picture there. And I suppose the, one of the points that I'd always make is that if you're trying to talk about responsible gambling, it needs to happen at three levels, which is the government level responsible policy, the operator level responsible provision of services, and then the individual level responsible consumption of those services. But the, the narrative, the same with alcohol for years and years and years has been you, the consumer behave yourselves. You know, we're making this neutral 
product is not addictive, you're the problem. (laughs) Yeah, the the drinks industry used to say that the problem is inside the man, not the bottle, except, of course, that the bottle contains a psychoactive, highly addictive substance, (laughs) which they neglected to mention. And there's a bit of that going on with the gambling industry as well, that, you know, it's a few strange individuals who can't handle gambling. Uh, In fairness, I think we all know that the gambling industry do a lot to facilitate uh, and encourage addiction in many ways uh, because they make a lot of money from it. So uh, I think there's always going to be a, a fight uh, on our hands there to try and unhook them from the, their addiction to the money. <laughs> but I think that's that's what governments are there for, is to try and provide some balance between corporate interests, the taxes that they generate, and the public health, you know, the, I suppose, of the of their constituents, you know, the people who elected them in the first place. So hopefully uh, we'll see that. Well, look, I know you, you need to get back to work. Myself and Tony need to get back to work as well. I mean, is there anything you would say in terms of your own recovery? Because a lot of people listen to this podcast. They're just trying to get a bit of inspiration. They're working on their own recovery. They might not have reached out for help or gone to a meeting or gone for treatment or anything like that. Yes, they're just kind of teasing things out in their own minds. Like, what would be the main thing that you might say to anybody who's thinking about stopping gambling or in the early stages of trying to stop gambling that works for you? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, for those who haven't stopped, I, I suppose the, the, the best advice is to ask for help. You know, like, uh, there is help. I mean, first of all, there is help available. You know, I know uh, from my own experience, whether it's, it's drink or gamble, you know, sometimes when you're in the the deep despair of addiction you you think your your life is worthless and that there is no hope or help for you and, and that, that isn't true you know there is you know everybody has the possibility of recovery but it does require that first action of asking for help so you know regardless of your situation uh financial uh family friend work uh relationship situation that you're in today you know if if, if you're in that point of despair then ask help you know speak to a family member speak to a friend call you know the, the likes of yourselves at Extern or, or ring somebody at GA because you know there there is there is a life free from uh addiction for for people who who, who wish to grasp it uh and for people people who are in the early stages of recovery you know sometimes after a period of time when you when you you set down the 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 laptop, the iPad, or you stop getting into the bookies. You know the honeymoon period disappears, uh, and then you're you're faced with the reality of life. You no, know, just keep going, doing. You no, know, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Don't pick up that first bed and slip or turn on that computer because that's you know any any problem that you may be encountering uh, can be overcome so long as you you stay away from from gambling. So keep doing what has got you. Uh, to this point uh, and you know I mean people living isn't particularly <laughs> uh, easy at times you know lots of people who don't suffer from addiction have difficult lives you know we've just come through a, a pandemic where lots of people have suffered emotionally physically financially you know people encounter problems in their lives uh, you know I, I often sometimes actually when I'm in the midst of recovery, felt lucky because you know, I, you know, I get used to talking about what was going on in my life. I, you know, I get used to sharing, you know, my problems and you know that old adage of a problem uh, shared as a problem have. You know, it's true. So you know, you know, regardless of what's happening in your life uh, at this moment in time, you know, speak to somebody about it, and, and there will be an answer and hopefully a solution out there. Brilliant, yeah, that's great advice. Well, listen, 
thanks so much philip and it, you know for talking to us today and thanks for all of the hard work that you're doing uh, with the apg i hope yeah i think you know there's a great opportunity for like you said for within northern ireland to be able to become a leading light you know because i suppose one of the advantages if you can call it an advantage of being I, I think it's 35 years behind in in the north it's actually way longer than that in the south but like the betting legislation goes back to the 1930s it's absolutely ridiculous but i suppose one of the advantages of that is you're, you can start out with a blank slate and you can look at other jurisdictions and say okay what works there what didn't work there you know you can get the best advice and you, you've spoken to loads of great people uh, at the evidence sessions of the apg and to start out with kind of you know international best practice model you know I think that there's a great opportunity to do that in Northern Ireland. And like you said, to have conversations going on between the, our little islands here and the different jurisdictions say, like, can we try and harmonize this as much as possible uh, and think in terms of the harms that are associated with gambling? Not for everyone. And obviously, we want to, we tend to focus on people who already have addictions. There's a whole other future generations, children, young people who are being, you know, inundated with gambling advertising the normalization of gambling we need to protect those young people future generations as well well listen thanks so much for giving us your time today and uh we'll hopefully we'll be talking again soon and keep up the great work thank you very much lads thank you